Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I look into all thy commandments. These words which we prayed in our intro this morning are very profound because they are so simple. The reason we are ashamed when we look into God's commandments is clear. It is because we break God's commandments. We wander from God's statutes. We wander from his word. We do what he tells us not to do and go where he tells us not to go. We defile ourselves when we do otherwise than what he tells us to do. And so we forfeit the blessing reserved for the undefiled in the way, as the same psalm and our intro today begins. And then we look into God's commandments and we are ashamed. Oh, that we were directed to do what he tells us to do. Then we wouldn't be ashamed. It is for this reason that we also pray in our intro at Antiphon, the part that's repeated at the end. Deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy. This is so very important. It is mercy we need above all. How else will we be unashamed? That portion of Psalm 119 that contains these words, deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy, just so happened to be appointed for our daily psalm in Matins this last week, with the rest of the verse also included. Deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy, and teach me thy statutes. And teach me thy statutes. When God deals with us according to his mercy, he gives us a desire to learn. And so we ask him to teach us. By dealing with us in his mercy, God makes us unashamed. He gives us boldness and courage to look into the very law that condemned us. He gives us courage and confidence in Christ who fulfilled the law for us. How can the law condemn us any longer? Christ is our righteousness. He who makes us wise, therefore, by revealing his grace, enables us to examine and even love that which once exposed us as fools. But now we are free. Mercy sets us free. Only when God has had mercy upon us for Jesus' sake, and by his atoning blood has cleansed us from what defiles us, and then sets us to walk in his way. Only then are we able to take a keen interest in what he actually requires and why. And so we do. That is why we're all here, to learn. By studying God's word and all his works and all his ways, it is as though we were examining the robe of righteousness that he clothes us in by faith. To learn God's word is to learn how God sees you, what he thinks of you, what he makes yours through faith. You are getting to know your Father in heaven, who is in you. 
by learning what his son teaches you to believe. God shows mercy to no one without also teaching what he would have us know. He teaches us to blush and be ashamed. He teaches us to know and confess our sins. He exposes our iniquity and demands repentance. The mercy he shows to those who confess their sins is mercy that is hidden in instruction to those who will not be taught. But it is mercy revealed in instruction to those who come to learn. God doesn't forgive us without teaching us. As the work that he did in our gospel lesson today shows. He did a lot more teaching than working, didn't he? And this is why we don't show up for private confession and absolution just to get forgiven and go our way. No, we come to church. It is why we don't consecrate our own bread and wine at home with the people that we enjoy spending time with. No, but we come together to learn together, to bear with each other's weaknesses, to show grace to each other, and to fulfill the law of Christ in one word, by loving each other, even if we were not the first choices to spend time with. And this requires us who have been baptized with the same baptism into the same Christ to gather as one body and seek to maintain the unity that we have in the bond of peace which Christ gives to us by forgiving us our sins. And this requires that we go to church together, obviously. We maintain the unity we have in the forgiveness of sins by learning Christian doctrine together. We come to learn what we never knew, what we used to know, what we would like to know, as well as to hear again and sing out loud what we are so happy to know. We come to hear God's word. We gladly hear and learn it because, as David says in another psalm, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Mercy and truth. Unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For the sake of mercy and truth, mercy and truth, the paths of the Lord are pleasant. We keep his covenant and his testimonies by learning Christian doctrine and taking an interest in what the Bible teaches. And we do it all for love of the mercy and truth he has shown us. But then we confess with the patriarch Jacob, when God finally enabled him to come back to church for the first time in 20 years, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. But God continues to show us this mercy and to teach us this truth. What a fantastic hymn to mercy we just sang. When all my deeds I am reviewing, the deeds that I admire the most, I find in all my thought and doing that there is naught whereof to boast. Yet this sweet comfort shall abide. In mercy I can still confide. That's why we come to church. That's why we dare not despise preaching in his word. 
because it is a sacred privilege to hear it and abide in it. By abiding in Jesus' words, we hide in his wounds and confide in his mercy. And we are truly his disciples because he teaches us to know the truth that makes us free. Mercy and truth. But when we look at our habits and the passing and pressing troubles and thoughts of our daily life, by which we distract ourselves from daily prayer, personal devotions, and self-reminders that all things else have but their day, God's great love abides for a. What can we conclude about these habits than that they are bad habits? And what can we conclude about these pressing troubles and thoughts than that they ought to prompt us to draw nearer to God rather than stray farther away? When we examine those personal excuses we make either when we needlessly skip church or when we otherwise fly through a divine service with little thought to the import and significance of what goes on there. When we look honestly at these excuses, we see that we have failed to hallow the Sabbath day as God requires. We look into this commandment and are ashamed because of how we direct our own ways. For what does this commandment mean? We should fear and love God that we may not despise preaching in his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. When we see what sins we commit, not just the sins of weakness against the other commandments that make us need forgiveness, like lust and greed and vengeance, but sins of weakness against the third commandment, by which we actually prevent ourselves from hearing that our sins are forgiven and receiving the absolution from Christ, along with the pledge of his resurrected body and blood that lives and reigns in heaven even now as he is preparing a place for us there. What can we conclude but that we are afflicted with a, a certain madness, a deep sickness? It is one thing to sin in such a way as to require that we repent and come back to church, it is quite another to sin in such a way that prevents us from coming back to church at all. Is it not the craziest of all sins that we would ever find ourselves growing weary of hearing and learning God's word, of plowing outside of Eden rather than returning to where the angels permit us to come back in? By seeking riches and entertainment over the wisdom of Christ is to pierce ourselves through with many sorrows, as the Bible says, and our experience confirms it. To long for what sat cannot satisfy is a waste of time, to say the least. But it also does great damage and causes much pain. But before we turn the sins against the other commandments into secondary sins compared to the sin of breaking the third commandment, let us consider what it is to sin, say, against the Eighth Commandment. God tells us not to slander. He tells us not to gossip. He tells us to make peace with our adversary quickly. He tells us to debate our case with our neighbor and not to disclose secrets 
He warns us that we will be ashamed when we look into the Eighth Commandment. God tells us what not to do, and we do it. He tells us to confront our neighbor if we have a concern about what he said or did, and we don't. It's somehow his fault because of how we know how he would respond. God tells us to admonish those among us who begin to complain about somebody who is not there to defend himself or maybe even apologize. Those who come to church with the intent of refusing to speak with a brother or sister there sin against God and do violence to the unity of the bond of peace which the Holy Spirit creates for us. If we want to turn skipping church into the king of sins, well, we're kidding ourselves. Not only because we're all here on a Sunday morning, all outwardly not breaking the third commandment, and it does no good for us all to try to fit into the highest seat and congratulate one another for making it. No, but we're kidding ourselves, especially because this sin that betrays confidence and fails to guard the reputation of others and that judges is by far our favorite, and we know it. And can there be a sin that we all commit so routinely and treacherously that could bring more shame to our faces than this? Imagine if everyone here, in a moment, knew all the lusts you have ever had. Oh, the shame. But it might at least be chalked up to the sort of weakness that everyone has, right? Now imagine if everyone knew right now what you have said about others in this very room. Oh, good God, we would all flee. We would blush to death before we could escape the room. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I look into all thy commandments. Deal with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy mercy, and teach me thy statutes. Our gospel lesson this morning teaches us about the third commandment. The invitation to hallow the Sabbath day is an invitation to find rest from our labors. Not just the labors whereby we seek to justify ourselves, but the labors whereby we seek pleasure. It feels good to complain. It feels good to fantasize. It feels good to imagine what you'd say to so-and-so and and what that person needs said to him. It feels good. It takes our energy, it takes our time, it takes our devotion, and it tires us out. And we find no rest man with dropsy needed rest. A dropsy is an interesting disease. It causes swelling in the body. And it makes you very thirsty. And the more you drink water, the more you swell. And the more you swell, the thirstier you get. The more you want to drink, the more you swell. Oh, this vicious cycle is a perfect picture of our sin. Whether the sins we commit against the eighth, the sixth, the fifth, the fourth, the third, it's a picture of sin. Whatever this man's sins were, his ailment bore a striking resemblance to it and to ours.
He was puffed up with what could not satisfy. And the reason he was puffed up is because he was so thirsty for what he was drinking. And what he was drinking was doing him harm. He needed to drink something better. His physical ailment had the same solution as our spiritual ailment. He needed the love and kindness of Jesus. And he was determined to show love and kindness. The lawyers and Pharisees were also puffed up with what they were satisfied with. Their own righteousness. Their own judgment. They judged Jesus for doing good on the Sabbath. And this is because they made the Sabbath law into a work of laziness that they would accomplish for God. And so they made it empty and meaningless by God's command to do nothing, to rest into something whereby we proved we didn't need mercy. And Jesus silences them by, telling, by asking them whether it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath. This reminds me of another line from Psalm 119 that especially struck me as I chanted it with the children this week. And oh, how it applies to the Sabbath law that forbids working. We sang, It is time for thee, O Lord, to work. For they have made void thy law. We see how the Sabbath is made void. When it is turned into something whereby we show God we need no mercy. Rather than as an opportunity to be silent ourselves. And to listen to God's good instruction. Where mercy and truth are all given in equal measure. This word for silence interestingly enough, is related to the word for rest. We find rest not by judging, not by gossiping, not by condemning, not by seeking all those pleasures that puff us up and cause pain and hurt. No, we find rest by coming here and making no excuses, by receiving honest, clear, and obviously true rebukes Whatever commandment is being preached on, as a word fitly spoken, is something more precious than gold and silver. Is something that drives you to the love of God revealed and confirmed in the blood of Christ. Those who judged Jesus for working, for loving, would have wanted this man to remain puffed up and bloated in his misery because they were comfort in their comfort, comfortable in their own bloated puffed upness but Jesus loved because Jesus loves even those who are puffed up he loves the man who's swelling on the ground and he loves the man whose heart is swelling up above him and he rebukes them sternly not to damn them but to persuade them he wants to persuade all of us so we must be rebuked when we refuse to forgive another who joins us in worship, what we are saying is that Jesus is wrong to forgive him. 
when we refuse to be patient with one another, to suffer with other people's failings, to bear with one another, we are saying that Jesus did wrong to be patient with us, to suffer for us, and to bear with us. We are sitting too high. We must not sit with those who judge in the highest seat. Whatever puffs us up, whether it be lust, pride, judgment, laziness, ignorance, we must roll ourselves down to where Jesus sits with the lowly, where he has mercy on those whose sins are known to him, where he does not put you to shame, but teaches you good things. Whatever sin we bring in our hearts, Jesus comes to give us rest. Rest from our labor, rest from our guilt, rest from our own vain righteousness. He gives us rest by giving us something better to drink. Our tears can never deflate our bloatedness. Only his mercy can. His mercy alone gives us rest, and so we come here silently confessing our sins silently ignoring one another's, and with great joy and loud voices, praising God who forgives all of them alike. And so we rest. We rest in mercy. We fulfill the law because our ways are directed. We fulfill the law by loving the gospel, by loving one another. We fulfill the law because our ways are directed to follow Christ who has made full atonement for our sins and gives to us peace and everlasting life in his name. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard our hearts and our minds in Christ unto eternal life. Amen.